Snacks are Friday night, says Kathy. For, for who? The for the ladies. Okay. I thought you were talking about children. All right. Not the children, for the ladies. Well, you know what I see here, you know, uh, in the middle of the summer, so many on vacation, people are hungry for the Word of God. They really are hungry for the Word of God, and we ought to be, because faith comes by hearing and understanding the Word of God. That's how faith is, is increased. So how many want ever-increasing faith? Stronger faith. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the incredible Christ in Colossians. And Lord, what you're showing us out of this incredible, wonderful, powerful, awesome book. We pray that tonight you will open our ears, open our eyes, give us understanding, give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Increase our faith, Lord. And thank you for making us mighty in our spirit, man. Mighty in our spirit, man, through the Word of God. In Jesus' name. Can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me? Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And let me uh, just begin here. We're going to talk about not letting people judge you. How many of you have ever been judged by somebody and it didn't feel good? Anybody in here? Here's the better question. Anybody here not been judged? I want to meet you. Not a soul. All right. Don't let people judge you. Now, the last time we saw that Jesus canceled the record of charges that were against us, nailing it to the cross. What a powerful truth. And boy, we need a revelation on that, don't we? Not only was our old man crucified with him, we're going to look at that again in just a little bit. Our old man of sin was crucified with Jesus. But also, all of the accusations against us, the record book that Satan had on us, were nailed to the cross with Jesus and done away with. There's a lot of things on that cross we need to understand. Not just Jesus was on the cross. You were on that cross, and your offenses were on that cross. And so he nailed that to the cross. Now, we also saw that he made a public spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him before the eyes of the spirit world. He made a spectacle of Satan. Satan was made a fool of. Satan made a huge mistake when he instigated the crowd to crucify Jesus. If Satan tonight could undo anything he's done, he would undo the cross. But guess what? He can't. All right, so he made a spectacle of the enemy. Now this time, Paul is going to further show us what's been shattered by Christ, beginning with unnecessary rules and regulations. I already like the sound of this. Amen? Now let's read together. This is chapter 2 of Colossians first, uh, 16 and 17 verses. Let's read. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. That's not talking about whiskey. I'm just making that clear. I heard some of you drinkers go, all right, praise God. No, it's talking about something else. We're going to get to that. Let's start over. <laughs> let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is what was happening in Colossae 
is that the Gnostics were seeking to reimpose upon Christian believers the worn-out Jewish religious calendar. The Gnostics, among just being false teachers, misrepresenting and marginalizing the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they were also heavy-handed legalists. And boy, I'll tell you, I love Jesus, but I hate legalism. Legalism drives a lot of people out of church, and uh, I guarantee you, they equate Christianity with a bunch of rules and regulations and legalism. They say, I don't need that, don't want that. They don't understand what Christianity is really about. But now, they were seeking to reimpose upon the believers in that little out-of-the-way church, the Colossian church, the worn-out Jewish religious calendar filled with legalistic rules and regulations that were no longer relevant under the new covenant. Now, let me just talk to you about that a minute. The Jewish year, if you had been in Old Testament times, it moved from feast to feast and from Sabbath to Sabbath. Read about that in Leviticus 23. And from new moon to new moon. That's in 1 Chronicles 23, verse 31. I'll give you these verses so you can look it up for yourself. But that was the, Jew, the warp and woof of Jewish life. Was feasts, Sabbaths, new moons, all of these rituals and regulations and ordinances that they had to keep. Now, they were called holy days, like the feasts, Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Purim, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of, of a Passover. All of those were holy days, and they were sacred to the Jew, and they are still sacred to Jews today who have not moved into the new covenant and accepted Christ. But the holy days that Paul refers to were the annual religious feasts. New moons referred to monthly celebrations as the moon would change, okay? New moons. All of these special days were primarily related to the nation of Israel and its time in the promised land. They are not relevant to the church age. They're past. And I appreciate all that God did there in the Old Testament. I appreciate the Jewish people. But I got to tell you, when Jesus died on that cross, the veil was rent in half. And God said, now whoever wants to can come into the Holy of Holies and get with me. He ripped that thick, powerful veil top to bottom. What was he saying? I'm doing away with all of these old feasts, all of these old rituals, all of these old ordinances, and now you can come into my presence through the blood of Jesus. Now, so there are certain things that they observe that are no longer relevant to you and to me. Now, for the Christian, here's the news, every day ought to be a holy day. Not just a few out of the year, but every single day ought to be a holy day. Every single day ought to be a Christmas. Every single day ought to be an Easter I mean, I don't know about you, but I celebrate the resurrection every day. I talk to a resurrected Savior every morning. I fellowship with Him all throughout the day, and I'll be talking to Him tonight again when I get home. A resurrected Savior. And He's here with us right now. So today was a holy day for me. Every day is a holy day, holy day. Amen? Now, as for food and drink... The Old Testament mandated a strict adherence to abstinence 
for instance, from unclean meats. Let me just put it to you the way you'll understand it. Bacon. (laughs) Ham. Oink, oink. All that stuff we we love to get at IHOP. When we go to IHOP, or forget IHOP, you do it all the time anyway. All right? That was forbidden in Leviticus 11. And this rule, can I say it? No longer applies. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I've I've talked to people who are huge on the Levitical diet. I, I believe there's some wisdom to the Levitical diet. But what we need to understand is this. You don't have to live in it. And if you do eat oink oink, you have not sinned. I thought at this point some of you would be jumping up and shouting. I really did. Because that's good news. I mean, I don't eat a lot of bacon, but when I do, oh, it's so good. Why is it so good? It's so good. So what did Paul tell us? Read it with me in 1 Timothy 4.4. Every, read it everybody, every creature of God is what? And nothing is to be refused if what? It's received with thanksgiving. That's the new covenant. In the Old Covenant, you couldn't eat this, couldn't eat that, couldn't eat anything with the split hoof, and all these different rules and regulations that all passed away with the Old Covenant. Now we're in the New Covenant. So when I went to India, they were eating some very strange things. And you talk about praying hard. That's when you really sanctify your food, when you travel overseas. You say, Lord, you said I could eat it if I receive it with thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you sanctify it. You ought to be praying that way when you go through McDonald's. I'm sorry. I'll get email from somebody in McDonald's management on that one. I'm going to move right along. No telling what's in that Whopper. The Jewish dietary laws... I know, that's Burger King, I know, but they're all the same. (laughs) Do you hear, look at, listen to the fast food aficionados in here. That's not McDonald's, that's Burger King. You know your fast food, don't you? Now, look what it says. The Jewish dietary laws were one of the instruments that effectively kept Jews and Gentiles apart. Why did God give them those laws? It kept... Jews and Gentiles apart because that was God's Old Testament plan. He did not want Jewish men, for instance, marrying foreign women. So God gave laws that kept the Jews and the Gentiles apart. One of them was these dietary laws because the Gentiles were eating anything. But the Jews couldn't. But this division is done away with in Christ. We are no longer separated that way. Look what Paul said in Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one. If you're washed in the blood, I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, I don't care Pentecostal, AG, I don't care what Anglican priest. If you're washed in the blood and you love my Jesus and fellowship with him, you're my brother, you're my sister. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we have been made one. And what does it say? He broke down the middle wall of separation between people. 
Jesus is the great reconciler. Now, verse, chapter 2, verse 18, Paul goes on. He says, I don't want you to let anybody cheat you out of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Intruding into things they, they have not even seen. They're talking about stuff they don't even know what they're talking about because they haven't seen what they're talking about. He's talking about people full of hot air. Trying to bring you in bondage to things and teach you to worship things that they themselves has not, have not even seen. You can't give what you don't have. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now here's what Paul was driving at. The Gnostic cult was acting very humble, but it was a fake humility. It was phony humility. It was pretense. And they were also entering into forbidden realms of the occult, encouraging the worship of angels, which Scripture forbids. They were saying, we've seen angels, and we're encouraging you to worship these angels that we have seen. Paul is saying, they've seen no such thing. They're full of hot air. They're telling you about spiritual experiences they haven't had, and they're trying to lead you into worshiping something they don't know anything about. Now, I'm going to tell you, church, we are to worship one thing. As a matter of fact, let's look at it. Never are we to worship angels. And these people say, well, I was, you know, I got up this morning and was walking across my room and an angel appeared. And we sat down and had a talk. No, 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 you, no, you didn't. I, I'm going to tell you how I know that. Because a real angel, you are on your face. Every time I read about it in the Bible, from Mary to anybody you want to pick, Daniel, any who had these, these visitations of angels, they were on their face at the mighty, awesome, even frightening appearance of these incredible beings. But look what happened when John saw an angel, I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to do what? Worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So what is he doing? He's worshiping the angel. And then the angel said to me, See that you do not do that, for I'm your fellow servant. And your, of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. What was his last two words? Worship God and him only. God is the only one that we are to ever worship. Not only are we are not to worship angels, but the first commandment is clear. We're never to worship anything or anyone other than the living God. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. That includes, can I go where angels fear to tread? That includes the Virgin Mary or any other human spiritual leader, never are we to worship anyone but God. And of course, Jesus was and is God. And don't forget that one of the marks of evil spirits and of Satan himself is they do want you to worship them. When you get into the occult realm, I gotta tell you, I've, especially in the 70s when I began to minister and got out there and began to minister to a lot of young people who were coming out of the occult 
And we encountered a lot of demon spirits in people, seriously, who, who had been really deep into the occult. They told me one of the things that we would do is we would worship the devil. Why? Because the devil, Satanism, leads you into the worship of the devil. See, that's why Satan hates the worship of Christ. Because he used to be the chief worshiper. And he's lost it. And he'll never get it back. I love worship. I thrive on worship. I mean, I, listen, I love nights when we worship until we drop. I worship God all the time alone. I'm not saying, you know, aren't I spiritual or doing anything like that. I do it because I am, am learning to practice the presence of God. And I've learned that when I worship just by myself, anywhere, anytime, the worship of God begins to fill the place. And I begin to fellowship with the Lord. And I, I stir up the gift of God that is within me by worship. But see, Satan used to be the chief worshiper. And he's lost it. So now he's trying to steal away from God what is only due God. And so we would see demons coming out of these young people, crying out that had gotten into their life from worshiping the devil. The devil wants that worship. He's a thief. He's a liar. And he's a murderer. Matthew 4, 8 through 11, he even had the gall to try to get the Son of God to worship him. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mount, mountain, Matthew records, and showed him, that is Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And what did the Son of God say? Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, read it with me, everybody, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Him only. Him only. And so you can't worship a person, a politician, somebody with a lot of charisma, a spiritual leader. You don't worship anybody. We respect people, but we don't worship people. We worship the living God. And boy, when you learn how to worship God, listen, it was when I learned to worship God that I experienced the call of God. In the presence of worship, he called me. Then the devil left him. I like that. The devil boogied. He got out of there. And what happened? Real angels came and ministered to Jesus when he refused to worship the devil. Don't let anybody cheat you with this nonsense, Paul says. All right? Now, verse 19, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Spiritual growth comes from God. Now, what, are, what does he mean, ligaments and joints? Ligaments are fibrous tissue gathered together as cords or bands. They hold your organs in place. They hold your guts in place. Or they fasten bones together. And those ligaments are as strong as a rope. Joints comes from a word meaning to bind, to fasten with chains. What is Paul telling us using those two analogies? He's saying both of these words speak to the body of Christ being securely fastened together 
as long as Jesus is the head. And how do you cleave to Jesus? Well, we cleave to Jesus in our faith, but i got to say this tonight, church. Something very, very um, troubling is happening in many parts of the body of Christ in the West, in America. We are leaving this word. We're laying it aside. And we're allowing ourselves to be shaped and conformed by the world to the world instead of shaped and conformed by God into the likeness of Christ. And see, how do we keep him as the head? One way is, this is the word of God. Now, some people would hear me say that and say, well, he's pretty stupid. He's not educated. He's kind of one of these backwoods, southern preacher uh, types that have never really studied emotion-driven and not logic-driven because anybody who really thinks knows that that can't be the Word of God, every word. That's what, that's what unintelligent, uneducated people think. But i got to tell you, it's what Jesus thought. Now, tell me Jesus was uneducated, unintelligent. Tell me that Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Jesus validated Moses. He validated Abraham. He validated the flood. He validated, uh, he validated Sodom and Gomorrah. He validated uh, Jonah and the whale. He validated the Word of God over and over and over again. And you're going to tell me that he was stupid unig or ignorant, uneducated? He was the most brilliant mind to ever walk the earth. And he said, it is written. And that's how he defeated the devil. He cleaved to this word, hugged this word. He wrote this word. How do we keep Jesus as the head? We follow the word of God and the God of the word. And as long as we stay with the Word of God and the God of the Word, He's the head. And when He's the head, we are fed. When He's the head, we are fed. Look what He says. Our head, Jesus Christ, what does He do? Nourishes us into abundance. As a result, we grow with the increase that only God can give. Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and let my words abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That means in terms of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, salvation, anything that comes from God apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But in Him, through Him, by Him, we can do all things. And we grow as we abide in Him. And as he does over and over, Paul brings the believers, and that's us, back to Jesus Christ. Back, he's a broken record. I want you to get back to Jesus. You, you Christians there in Colossae, get back to Jesus. Quit listening to this high-sounding cultic nonsense and get back to Jesus. He's the head. You're the body. He'll feed you. You will grow if you abide in him. He calls on us to hold to the head, which is Christ, the head of the church. Let me say this again. The Pope is not the head of the church. No man is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, we got to get a firm, unshakable grip on this truth, lest we be moved from the simplicity of the faith that is in Jesus Christ in these days of almost overwhelming deception. 
He says in chapter 2, verse 20 through 22 now, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, don't, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Now notice, he's not saying there aren't certain things we should avoid, but we ought to avoid the things God has told us to avoid, not the commandments and doctrines of men. There's a difference. Very, very important. There's things that we should definitely not taste, not touch, not handle. But let's be sure that what we avoid, God told us to avoid, and not some religious, legalistic man. The Bible always addresses the believer as one who has died with Christ. I want you to say something with me. I'm dead with Christ. Do you believe that? You better believe it. You're to reckon it. You're dead with Christ. The Bible always addresses you and me as those who have died with Christ. Paul says, if you died with Christ, from the way that the world thinks and acts, and the evil spiritual powers of this world no longer hold you, why then are you allowing that same world to bring you into bondage again? What a great question. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. In Galatians, Paul voices the same thing. Listen to this. O foolish Galatians, chapter 3, 1 through 4. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question, Paul says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? I'll ask you a question, church. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by being a good person? By obeying some rules and regulations? Is that how you receive the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul is saying. Is that how you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? He said, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about who? Christ. How foolish, he says, can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Going back to rules and regulations and taste not, touch not, handle not, that come from men who are trying to bind you instead of maintaining your liberty in Jesus. Have you experienced so much for nothing, Paul says? Now, I think that's a great question to ask. I would ask it tonight to all of you and, and to all of our listeners by radio. Have we experienced all we've experienced just to return to rules and regulations that didn't get us saved or spirit-filled in the first place? Uh-uh. He says, surely it was not in vain, was it? Let me tell you the truth about Christianity. It's not a bunch of man-made, legalistic rules and regulations. Touch not, taste not, handle not. What is Christianity? Say it with me. It's a person. Let's try it again. It's a person. What is Christianity? It's a person and a relationship with that person. 
the Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings he gave to us for life and living. That's Christianity. Read the red ink. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Read the Gospels. What he gave to us and himself is Christianity. So much for the cult now. Paul is done with them. And now he's going to get down to practical Christianity. How, how do you take all of this stuff and make it practical in a day-to-day -day living? Now the next paragraph is going to take us into the bank of heaven. I want you to know we're rich in Christ. We're rich in Jesus. We're shown in the next few verses, starting at chapter 3, verse 1, we're shown the endless abundant resources that are ours. Paul says, help yourself. It's all yours. You know what I do every morning? I get up and I go on a treasure hunt. I do. I'm serious. I get up and I go. So what do you mean, Pastor Jeff? I get up. I go out on the patio. If the weather is permitting, and usually it is, I take my coffee with me that God made on the eighth day. <laughs> and I sit down, and I open up my Bible, and I open up a little commentary that I like, and I start feasting, and I go treasure hunting, and I wait for that verse that I know is going to come zinging out of those pages, and I begin to feel myself getting fed, and I feed myself on the spiritual riches of God. I feed myself on His promises, feast myself on His Word. I drink it in until I can't drink anymore. I drink until I'm done. That's what I do every morning. I'm not going to go out and confront the devil and confront the flesh and confront the world with an empty tank. So I, I help myself. Here it is, 66 books of the riches of God. Amen? Now, he says in verse 1, read it with me, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Not only does the Bible always place the believer as dead with Christ, it also decrees us risen with Christ. So say with me, I'm dead with Christ, but it doesn't stop there. I'm risen with Christ, and now I'm walking with Christ, a resurrected man, and I'm a resurrected person. You are dead with him, and you are risen with him. You know what God has done, actually? He's placed us where Jesus put Lazarus, resurrected from the dead. You're as resurrected as Lazarus was. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. As believers, we live on resurrection ground. Remember how the people of Jesus' day responded to Lazarus, the resurrected man? Man, they beat a path to his door. They craned their necks to see him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted to observe him. Do you know that a lot of the people that were there when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem on Passover Sunday, a lot of them were there it says in the Bible, they were there to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, not just Jesus. Do you know that there is an incredible curiosity among people when they know they're around somebody who has been resurrected? If I brought in tonight a man who had been dead for days, and then some person of faith came up 
and said, get up in the name of Jesus. And he had risen from the dead, from the dead, medically dead, proven dead, dead as dead can be. He was raised from the dead and he was sitting on the front row. I wouldn't have your attention right now. You'd all be. And as soon as I'm done, you'd be wanting to talk. What was it like? What did you see? What did you hear? What, what was it like when you got raised from the dead? Did you see angels? Did you see God? What was heaven like? You're a resurrected man and a resurrected woman. You're resurrected. Oh, Pastor, that, that's just doctrine. That's just theology. No, no. That's historical fact. If it's not true, let's go home and watch I Love Lucy reruns. Because that's all there is. But no, we have been resurrected. When we said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, I turn to you in faith, our spirit man that was dead in trespasses and sins was resurrected. Get this, the home where we live, the place where we work, the church where we worship should be places where spiritually dead people meet people living on resurrection ground. I love it on a Sunday. I can watch the dead ones. Now, I'm not meaning anything by that because I was once dead too. But I can watch the dead ones come in. And when they see you living ones, they're like this. I can watch the dead ones. I know the dead ones because they don't know what to do. They don't know what they've gotten themselves in. They're looking at those exit signs. You know why? Because they're spiritually dead. And they come in and see a bunch of resurrected people and it doesn't compute. Because you didn't smoke anything, drink anything, shoot anything. You're just happy and something is on you that they can't explain. And when you get around a bunch of resurrected people and you're dead, it becomes irresistible. I want to be alive just like that. Sunday morning, second service, they were from stem to stern in this altar, getting right with God, coming to Christ. Stem to stern. What, what did it? They were about around a bunch of resurrected, literally, truthfully, historically resurrected people. Since we are risen with Him, our affections ought to be on things above, not on the vain and useless things of this earth. Why? Because we are dead to this world. Read it with me. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. You are dead, Paul writes. What an awesome fact. Listen to what he says in Romans. And you know what, folks? Most Christians don't understand this, and that's why a lot of them don't live in any victory. Look at this. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Is he just talking theological theory? No. He says, here's what you ought to know as a believer. This is no-so. Not a hope-so, maybe-so, perhaps-so, no-so. No-so. Our old man, the old man of sin that we were all born with, that got us into all the trouble we always got in, that old man was crucified with Jesus. Crucified. 
What happens when something is crucified? It's killed. Did you crucify your old man? No. Try getting on a cross and crucifying yourself. You can't do it. Who crucified you and me? God. He said, these folks have got a problem. Their problem is that they've got Adam's fallen nature. And I'm going to have to do something with that fallen nature. I'm going to have to get rid of it. I'm going to have to render it impotent. I'm going to have to kill it. How can I do it? When my son is crucified on the cross for their sins, I'm going to crucify that old Adam nature with him. Now, we are to consider that so, so that when Jesus said it is finished, our old man was finished. Why? So that I don't have to follow him around anymore. I don't have to do what he tells me to do anymore. And likewise, Paul goes on to say, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. You're dead and you're alive. You're dead to sin and alive to God. Dead with him, raised with him, dead to sin, alive to God. Do you know that? So anytime that old man says to you, hey, dude, I'll bet you if you go out, hey, God understands you're full of stress. God understands you got all these problems. You deserve a break. Why don't you go find whatever? And it's the old man trying to convince you that he's not on that cross, but he's alive and well. But it says, let God be true and every man a liar. We are to reckon. So we're to say, what are you doing down off that cross? Get back up there. Get back up on that cross. Because you've been crucified. And not only are we dead, we're hidden with Christ. We're dead to, to sin, alive to God, and we're hidden with Christ. We're in the calm of the hurricane's eye. It was in the center of raging fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked with the Son of God. Wasn't it? Their lives were hid with Christ and God beyond the reach of this world's rage. They were kept in the fire. As far as God is concerned, listen church carefully, we have already passed over to the other side of death. As far as God is concerned, we've already passed over. Physically, we're still here, but spiritually, we're already over there. Well, I'm just waiting for my eternal life. You're already in it. You're not going to get eternal life when you die. You've already got it. Where are we? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are. We're down here, and we're up there. Physically, we're here. Spiritually, we're there. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. The Bible places the return of Christ as the ultimate goal of history. He came once in grace, he's coming back in glory. He came once to redeem, he's coming back to reign. He came once as Savior, he's coming back as sovereign. Now, as we have shared in the benefits of his first coming, so we will share in the bliss of his coming again. We will appear with him in 
glory. I love words. You know I do. And that word appear from the Greek language means to make visible, to manifest, to uncover, to lay bare, to reveal. It's talking about a literal return of Jesus. At that moment, John tells us when he returns, we will be instantly like him. For we will see him as he is. <gasps> there he is. Here I am. There he is. I'm just like him. Just like that. Having taken us into the heavenlies, Paul now brings us back down to earth again. How are we to live in light of the truth of our death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Tune in next week. Okay? Let's stand up together, can we? I forgot. I will show you real quick. I had this water up here for a reason. Those of you listening by radio, I'm holding a pitcher of water. It's talking about what I was going to do is the shadow of things. All those Old Testament feasts and ordinances were, Paul says, were shadows of things to come. It's hot out there, isn't it? Let's say you are out there today at about 1 o'clock. You've been working in the lawn, working in the yard. You're sweating, you're thirsty, you're hot, you're tired. And I walked up with this, with the sun shining about here. And I held it up, and the shadow of this hit the ground. So you got a shadow of a pitcher, and you got the pitcher. And I said to you, what do you want, the shadow or the pitcher? You would say, oh, come on. The Old Testament was a shadow. The pitcher was born in Bethlehem. You get it? So, what do you want? You want the shadow or you want the real thing? Well, it's easy, right? It's a no-brainer. Thank God we're out of the shadow of the Old Testament. We're into the living water of the new covenant. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name for the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord we've been delivered from the shadows and we're living in the real thing. Thank you for the living waters that satisfy. We praise you, Lord, for the goodness of God and thank you, Lord God. You shall soon appear and we will be like you for we'll see you as you are. Now, Lord, help us to keep our freedom in the simplicity of Jesus Christ and not to allow any man-made religion rules or regulations bind us but we are bound only to you and only to your word in jesus name amen let's worship right before we go let's worship a moment can we thank you lord thank you lord. Holy, holy.